0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to Radical Musings. This episode is pretty special to me because I get to speak with Ronan Farrow. Ronan Farrow, who was one of the people to expose Harvey Weinstein and the horrific crimes against women, sexual assaults that happened through the years that he uncovered um, for a few years and tried to break the story at NBC. And, you know, he's got this great book, Catch and Kill, which tells the whole story about how this all came into fruition um, from from the people that were uh, courageous enough to come forward and tell their stories like Rose McGowan and Emily Nosbaum and so many, many wonderful uh, actors, um, uh, Mira Savino and Ashley Judd and, um, there's so many, I can't, uh, even Annabella Shora and, um, I'm, I'm in there, you know, we all had a story to tell that was uh, hard and he did it. And, uh, Yeah, we're still living with it. We went into quarantine. Uh, Harvey Weinstein did end up going to jail, which was um, kind of unheard of. And I think we were all actually really surprised by it because it didn't look like it was going to go that way, even though it was scary. Anyway, it happened on uh, March 11th. And then the 13th, we went into quarantine in March. So it's been quite a year, I got to tell you. He wrote Catch and Kill about the experience and it reads like a spy thriller. It's so amazing. Seriously, I mean, you would not believe what he endured to make this story see the light of day and that Harvey was ultimately held accountable. His personal journey is also intriguing, is the son of celebrities Mia Farrow and Woody Allen. He saw his family ripped apart by scandal over allegations Allen molested Ronan's sister, Dylan. He skipped high school and he started college at age 11. Do you hear that, everybody? He skipped high school and started college at the age of 11. He was going to Yale Law School at 18. He's, we're talking beyond, beyond intelligent, brilliant. He, he really is, when you say genius, and people misuse that word all the time, he actually is a genius. Yet he's also got this incredible sense of humanity and integrity and that's why I trusted him to talk, tell my story about Weinstein. He just pat. We just passed the year anniversary of the Weinstein trial, and you know, it's I can't believe a year has passed. But um, one thing we know for sure, it wouldn't have happened without Ronan Farrow. Check out our conversation. Wait.
1: How you are, are, you? Are, you are you? Are you
0: away? Are you in another, you're in the country?
1: Are, uh, at my mom's place. She sends okay. love.
0: Okay, good. I was, gonna, I was hoping, could she come and say hi later? Yeah, I'll ask her. Yeah, I would love, I would love to say yeah. hi to her. I, in fact, I should do a separate thing with her only. Um, I'm sure
1: she'd eventually. be delighted to. She's great. And, and I really, I want you guys to both be working coming out of the pandemic.
0: Oh, Ronan, I just had a, like a great job. That was one oh, of those. Yay. Great... No. yay.
1: No, 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 no. This... Well.
0: It was a great job <laughs> with a great, with a great producer, a great creator. I'll tell you mm. later. And I don't want to say it on here. And then 11th hour, somebody at the top got rid of me.
1: No. God damn it. Yeah. Okay. Well, we got to find, we got to find new stuff. But the, do, the thing that, that we're learning in that
0: together, oh, I would love nothing. more. How about, especially working with your mom. I would love to do something to your mom. <laughs> Ronan, what are you up to? What's going on?
1: I just put out a new story about a whistleblower uh, revealing some important things and getting terribly retaliated against by the Trump administration, including Gina Haspel, who still currently runs the CIA. Um, so, I, you, should, you know, link people to that and you should take a look at that. You'd be interested in it. Um, and if welcome. there are any other whistleblowers out there, call me. You know, I, I think it's such an important issue to protect people who make principled disclosures and keep our government accountable.
0: And boy, do we need to keep this government accountable.
1: Yeah. I mean, they're just,
0: as they're trying to pardon everybody as they leave us and, you know, burning in flames. But- I mean, um, it's a, an
1: extreme situation and that's part of what the piece gets into that, you know, the situation was bad for whistleblowers under Obama and it got much, much worse under Trump. Uh, and it's much more brazen. You know, Trump is like firing- people associated with the impeachment proceedings, right, left, and center. Uh, there's been a double down on prosecutions of whistleblowers at the Department of Justice under the Espionage Act. It's really extreme and really bad. But, you know, like I said, the baseline that that we started from coming out of the Obama administration was not great either. Obama set a new record for prosecuting uh, officials accused of leaking government information, many of whom, you know, human rights groups consider to be principled whistleblowers. Um, so hmm. we've got to keep an eye on the Biden administration on that issue. We've got to see what his Department of Justice does. And, you know, what I, is he going to pardon reality winner? Is he going to continue he, the I hope of so. Daniel Hale? Well, they have,
0: I, I hope so. You, I, I would think that Kamala would. I mean, if, you know, she, she has anything to say about
1: it. I don't know. You know, some of these, uh, Daniel Hale, who I just mentioned, who was the uh, allegedly the source of the the intercepts uh, reporting on drones during the Obama administration. So those were, you know, important disclosures that I think created some accountability around a, a pretty unaccountable program. Uh, he's about to start trial sort of in this interregnum between administrations. So it'll be interesting to see if you know, the, the Biden administration, whoever is at DOJ, uh, when someone gets in there, considers it worth their while to pump the brakes or if they think it's too late. Um, you know, it's, a, it's kind of a bipartisan problem, Rosanna, that we don't protect whistleblowers. And, it, and protecting whistleblowers has been something that, uh, you know, American leadership has talked about and spoken to the importance of since the founding fathers. You know, very early in our history, we talked about people who know about government, government malfeasance should blow the whistle about it. Well, so I hope people take a look at that story and take a look at that issue because it kind of, you know, went uh, out during the election mania and all anyone could could uh, pay attention to was the horse race of the vote counts coming in, but god, if we want to have an accountable government, we've got to do better on on these whistleblower issues.
0: Are you comfortable with the Biden administration? I have to say he wasn't my first choice because of where we've been at. And maybe it's because it's been so horrible to just have any kind of decency. We're suffering from PTSD. Well, look, Um, you and I have
1: very different roles in this. Uh, You know, you're a, a wonderful activist and it's great that you're outspoken in the way you are. I really, to preserve the integrity of the work, um go to pains to be nonpartisan. you know i'm, I'm registered uh as an unaffiliated voter and uh-huh. uh you know that different journalists have a whole bunch of different approaches to whether they vote which races they vote in you know jake tapper and others have spoken about you know they only vote in some elections ones that they're not covering i think anderson cooper and others have spoken to not voting at all um, everyone lands in a different place but for my part you know uh, i don't register with a specific party and sincerely i don't feel an allegiance to a specific party that said You know, there is some truth, I think, to what you say that transcends the usual nonpartisanship. I I think that this administration took steps to uh, try to demonize the free press um, and to, you know, crack down on basic freedoms uh, that transcend party politics. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I do not think it is partisan or inappropriate for journalists to defend the importance of journalism. Um, And to say that it's inappropriate for uh, presidents to use uh, sort of authoritarian rhetoric uh, about the press, uh, describing the press as the enemy of the people. Um, So, you know, that's just taking one issue where I I do think that we've lived through an extreme uh, that, you know, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat should should be troubling. And and indeed, many of my uh, conservative friends are privately very troubled by it. You have a lot of conservative
0: friends. Do you have
1: you do? I have a lot of conservative friends, <laughs> both in the media and outside the media.
0: What do you think of the, I mean, the the, the Steve, Sch- Steve Schmidt's a very smart man, you know, and, and, I, and I actually yeah. respect a lot of what he's been talking about. He was Republican and he's brought uh, the Lincoln project and all the people that have been involved with that. I think it's, it's, it's good that they did that.
1: And yeah, I, I, I've talked out. to Steve and, you know, I, I think he represents a pretty significant constituency, um, where again, the usual rules of party lines don't apply when something this extreme happens.
0: So you're talking about whistleblowers and, um, and being retaliated against. Uh, I am a, one of those whistleblowers, one of the people that came out about Harvey Weinstein. and Thank your goodness. incredible incredible work that you did. Um, uncovering this. I've just told so many people, there's so a lot of people that haven't heard. I said, you really got to get Ronan reading his book to catch and kill. And then, then listen to the whole podcast about it. It's just a, It'll keep you, um, you know, busy and entertained and entertained. Um, thinking during COVID, it's a good time to listen to it.
1: I hope it's both. You know, I, I think even the toughest stories can be entertaining. You know, you and many other people in that story are naturally charismatic and entertaining, you know, even when you're talking about the darkest possible things. So I think all of the the shades of emotion are, are there in that story. And I was really lucky to be able to tell it. And I was lucky that you helped me tell it, along with a bunch of other sources who really had to go through hell and had a lot of doubts about whether they should be taking that risk. And I, I hope you feel like it was worth it in the end.
0: It's it's I go uh, back. I I, yes, I do think it was worth it. Absolutely. Why did it take a bunch of Hollywood actresses and your you know story coming out for people to actually listen? When we had the Cosby women, we had so many people had come out before in cases like this with powerful men and saying you know they were um, assaulted by a powerful man, and it took this group of for some reason for it to become this kind of news. And then the best part of it for me is Toronto Burke's work has gone to the level that it has around the world. And, and for that, I'm very, I feel really
1: happy about it. Isn't she the best? I mean, she's, it's such a, uh, a, learning experience just being around her and spending time with her, which I've, I've had the privilege to do as we've sort of spoken around the country and stuff before the pandemic. And, Um, You know, really, she became a friend after all that reporting came out, uh, and I came to understand more deeply the significance of her work in the years beforehand. Uh, She, on top of everything else, is someone who really embodies what we were talking about before, uh, where there's the full spectrum of uh, emotions uh, in her, and she's actually as fun as any human being I've ever interacted with. You know, she is a blast, and, uh, you know, despite the fact that she personally has been through uh, stuff that, you know, might break a lot of us uh, yeah. and spends a lot of her time working on such dark issues. You know, she's a real lesson in um, sort of maintaining her, her light, too. <laughs> Not just survival, yeah. but, yeah. but um, you know, surviving with such kind of panache. Uh, yeah. You know, she, she really, she stays buoyant uh, in the face of all of that. And, you know, I think that's just her being an incredibly strong person and someone who knows has worked on her healing low. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that's taken like, work for her. It,
0: it is. And that's what she's taught to the, so many, like to, to, to be in the, in the power of your truth. And once you've done that, it's, it's a powerful thing. It's not something to most people who, and we've witnessed it and we know these people who, come out with their truth and they spiral into the dark place. And that's what you're saying is that she doesn't do that. It's, yes, you're right. She's such a wonderful woman. And, and, to and be I
1: clear there's, you know, we both know people who uh, I think you've used the phrase, like an aura of darkness, mm-hmm. uh, you know, coalesces around them. Cause they've been through a lot of dark things and I have nothing but boundless sympathy for those people. And it's not like we can expect everyone to be, you know, a, a bubbly fun time all the time as they deal with trauma. Um, that said, I think, you know, it is really as I go through low moments in life, it's really helpful to spend time with someone like Tarana, who just maintains such strength and grace through it all, um, and such resistance to to going to that all-consuming dark place.
0: How are you? Okay, so because this is you know so cliche that how are you doing during the mm-hmm. pandemic? But you also because it's been so challenging for every relationship for parents, for, for, you know, having to school their children online all day, these poor kids on zoom all day. It's just, it's too much. It's, it's overwhelming and it's a lot. And I know for me and my relationship, Oh my God, we've gone through like ups and downs and it's been, it's been challenging. How are you doing with John? How are you guys? It's, is John, has, is he using his, um, his heavy blanket that weighted
1: And <laughs> yeah, I got him a weighted blanket. Uh, he hasn't really been using the weighted blanket, though maybe he should. It's a stressful time for everyone. It, it's funny, you know, you mentioned the obligatory kind of preamble to every conversation we have now in this yeah. time where it's it's sort of hard to avoid cliches, you know? How, know. how are you doing in this terrible, strange yeah, yeah. time? Yeah. We've, we've said it a million times at the beginning of calls, but it it is sincere. I, I hope you and your family are hanging in there, Rosanna. You know, I, I probably, like you, feel really privileged to be able to uh, you know, make ends meet and do much of my work from home. And, you know, I'm not having to go in and be a server in a restaurant every day. Uh, or we are so privileged, right. A million it's other jobs where people really do have to take risks every day. Um, you know, I'm not a, a frontline healthcare worker. Um, you know, there's a lot of people who, you know, I think we've all got to really root for and pray for right now. Um, and not everyone has the luxury that, that we've had of, you know, being able to do podcasts and interviews and reporting from home, uh, my job still has the usual ups and downs, which can feel very extreme emotionally sometimes of like every story I do entails all kinds of crazy threats and smears. And, um, you know, that's an occupational hazard and it's one I feel fortunate to be able to shoulder. It's part of the job, but it definitely, it can be fatiguing. And I think if you couple that with, you know, being closed in and having uh, yes, a lot of, privilege in terms of how I've been able to weather the pandemic, but also a lot of obstacles to the work I do. You know, I can't meet up with sources and get. So are
0: you, so you, are you doing your HBO you yeah. of a deal with HBO? Yeah, what I'm, I'm is i H- What are
1: Investigative they? documentaries. And really, I've, I've okay. been really lucky to partner with some incredible. i got
0: fans. a couple of stories for you.
1: Oh, please. Well, <laughs> I Rosanna, do. Th- what people might not know about Rosanna Arquette is, <laughs> she is a font of leads because boy, do you ever have an ear to the ground? Um, you know, there's been a couple of times when you've called and said, you're not going to believe this, but, and it's turned into a really significant story. Uh, so yeah, I'm always on the hunt for, for more. There's a,
0: there's, there's a, there's stuff to talk about for sure. Um, I think we're in just such a. Create. Yeah, I will. I, I'm going to talk to you about stuff.
1: Um, but yeah, the the documentaries have been a, a wonderful way to partner with some great creative people, and the HBO documentary team is just first rate. You know, they they like the team I worked with at the New Yorker have kind of built into their DNA just taking every risk necessary to get good reporting out. You know, they've tangled with the Church of Scientology. They've done all of these. You know, they, they did this Nexium documentary recently. They've they've really they've gone up against potent and litigious uh, adversaries to tell important stories. And, um, you know, I, I feel fortunate that I've been able to land with partners who have that attitude towards journalism. And, uh, you know, I think it's a little premature to talk about the specific topics, but, yeah. um, I'm working on one with, uh, that's probably going to come first, uh, that we're headed into edit in now soon, uh, with, uh, Heidi Ewing and Rachel Grady, a wonderful pair of uh, filmmakers of, of Loki films. You should check out all their work. They did a great documentary called Jesus Camp. Oh, the um, Jesus Camp! Yes. Yeah, they're just oh. fantastically talented. So it's been it's been cool, you know, carefully doing shoots in the time of COVID. Everything distanced, everyone tested. Uh, you oh, know, so you're making- you're
0: actually going? You're you're out there. So you are in the field. You're doing it.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's important to me that these be stories that are about the stories, not about me. So I, in some of these cases, I'm, you know, not the most important uh, or central element, thank God. Uh, but... Because you, you know, have to be you know, careful when you come home, especially with your mom. A- absolutely. And I've been particularly careful because, you know, a- anyone over the age of 50, uh, anyone yeah. who has a history of lung issues, which my mom does, me too. Um, you know, is really vulnerable. you got got to stay careful, Rosanna.
0: I know, I have asthma. I get. I get... It's you, scary. We
1: can't let you get it. You know,
0: no, I, I don't want to get COVID. I lost three people, place. and it's a terrible way to go. And then yesterday, I guess it was Alyssa or somebody showed the picture of of the hospital stands of iPads all standing there to, for people's goodbyes. Mm. It was too much.
1: It's really, really uh, – uh, you know more than anyone should have to bear, and I, I I'm keeping in my thoughts everyone who has gone through that. I, I have one sister who was briefly hospitalized with COVID, but is doing okay now. Um, Any long term effects? Anything? You know, we we Just... don't know yet. You know we're keeping an eye on her medical situation. Um, she's been okay up until very recently. Maybe something's happening now. But... Is that
0: Coretta's mom?
1: That's Coretta's mom, Quincy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And she's, you know, young and healthy, thankfully, and I, I think we'll be fine. Uh, but obviously not everyone is, has been so fortunate as to have the relative affected be one who is probably going to be capable of weathering it. So, so all of that, you know, does create a psychological weight, Rosanna. It's, yeah. you know, I, I wish I could tell you I've, I've been like blithely happy during all of this. I, I've felt it. And while I'm very conscious, conscious of how fortunate I've been, uh, it's been a, you know, a destabilizing and difficult year. And, um, you know, I've really, I have tried to put work in on my mental health that Mm -hmm. I haven't done before through a couple of years of moving very, very fast, uh, through very, very, very stressful situations where I've been really embattled, um, you know, all of the kinds of threats I talked about in Catch and Kill and that you knew about and were part of, and, um, you know, that, that is, as I said, kind of a baseline of my professional existence, but it, it takes a toll over time, for sure. Of course.
0: So can you tell me, because I remember you telling me, or was your mother told me, uh, that you, went, you had gotten in college, all these colleges at 11 years old. Do you mind talking a little bit about your childhood? Was it Columbia oh. University or somebody, and you were 11? I said No, oh, you're not- too young, you
1: can't go <laughs> Columbia was one of the the places that I considered uh, and they were wonderful there. Uh, but, but in the end, I think correctly, my mom was the one who thought, a, she wanted an easier commute because I was going to have to be driven to glass for the first two years at that age. Um, and then B, you know, I think she wisely gravitated towards putting me in a smaller setting, given my age. So I wound up at Bard, which was a fantastic experience. But you did get into
0: Harvard. You got into how, Could you tell me the schools you got into at 11 years old? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't even remember the list of places. I know that Columbia was of But It was, was like kind of it was up
0: Columbia, up. it was Yale. It was like it was well, like went the to Yale major for, schools.
1: I went to Yale for law school. Um and which was also by the way the same kind of principle of uh by then I was I took 2 years off in between. So I was 18 by the time I started at Yale, but uh it it was a fantastic experience for me, being a lot younger than the other law students, partly because it's a tiny place, Yale Law. You know, it's it's a, a sensitive. It's like the Montessori school of law schools. It's <laughs> it's um, you know uh, a, a collection of kind of often eccentric people with interesting life stories that you can learn a lot from, and everybody knows each other and um it's a little bit you know people joke when they're there like being back in high school uh which you know i can only speculate since i, I didn't graduate from high school <laughs> but that was kind of my my high school and and what a wonderful uh thing Did you just went to
0: directly to college
1: i went direct i i took high school classes at a local high school during middle school i i skipped what was it seven grades so i did everything kind of out of sequence and at the wrong time and you, fair listeners, Andrews and Rosanna Arquette will have to be the judge of how socially dysfunctional it's made me.
0: No, but I love, you know what I love is that your mom, we we have to, you know, if people don't know that Ronan's mom is Mia Farrow, the great Mia Farrow, great actress, beautiful, incredible actor, and um, that, she rec- that she recognized, you know, in all her kids, but to Bard, which was far from Connecticut. I mean, yeah, it's for the it's first like two hour, years. And then I, I lived and on a, campus
1: with a professor for the last two years. But, but for the first two, when I was really a baby, uh, she, God bless her, drove me along with a couple of friends. My godmother, Casey, who's the most wonderful person, um, did a lot of driving as well. Uh, so people kind of came together to keep an eye on me during that phase. And I really inflicted it on them. I mean, my mom was wonderful to go along with it. But I was like the helicopter parent (laughs) or or I was my own stage mom. My mom's input was always to kind of say, Hey, sure you don't want to be just in normal grade school. And couldn't you have fun that way? But I was, I mean, I don't know. I I would like to say that it was sincerely just intellectual curiosity. And I think that was a big part of it. I was bored with grade school work and I I was having such a blast with the college courses. I was, I, very fortunate to be able to do Johns Hopkins has a program where you can take, uh, college classes early during the summer. So I started doing that. Um, and I was reading a lot and I think a lot of it was genuine curiosity, but I'm sure, you know, if I'm going to armchair psychologize myself, there's also like just a bottomless well of insecurity that I'm constantly filling where I, I needed to be, you know, the best at all the things, uh,
0: do you feel that was cause you, cause you have like a lot of brothers and sisters. So you were all, this a huge, huge family. Cause your mother's uh, a beautiful activist she, and she adopted many, many children.
1: Yeah. Well, I really admired she, what too. she did with the, the family and, you know, it was very inspiring uh, being around and loving people who had a much harder lot in life than I did. You know, a lot of my siblings have significant physical disabilities um and mental health issues and you know that can be punishing to grow up around in some ways you know it these were not like issues that went away you know that was pretty tumultuous over the course of my entire life um but also i really got to see people surmount great obstacles and show a lot of strength uh so that's something i've i've always learned from
0: can we talk uh about dylan and she yeah, has true. a new book. She has a new book. You grew up with your father at the time, Woody Allen. And your sister, that's a very famous case, was, was molested by him. And that your mother's fierce warrior nature protecting her child, fiercely coming out against that, affected her whole career. Yeah. I admire her for it. We all do. You know, anybody who's a human being. Um, so tell me, tell me how you navigated that as a kid with, when that was going on.
1: Well, it's a case that, you know, everyone has heard about now for a generation and I think are probably tired of hearing about. But, but what you say is also a larger truth. And I think it's important to remember that, that the kinds of tactics you're talking about, the kind of um, destroy the mother as a proxy when you have a victim who, you know, my sister's a 30-something-year-old woman now uh, and she has always consistently maintained her story. Um and you know, if you I won't go down this rabbit hole now, but if you really look at the court records and Which I did. um, You just read the judge. All you have to
0: do is read what he says, and it's all there.
1: It's chilling. It really is a case where, you know, and I've I've had this conversation with uh sex crimes prosecutors and forensic experts and stuff who have similarly done a deep dive on those documents and come to the same conclusion. It really does appear that you know he got away with it, and I don't think that would have happened now. Uh, I think that there was a lot of manipulation of the process. Um, I mean, crazy stuff. And the press, yeah. I mean, there was there was a New York uh, social worker investigation where one of their top ranked, most respected social workers concluded that my sister was credible and consistent in her allegation, and the mayor's office ordered him to change his finding. It was a and that was in the media and stuff at the time, and everyone is kind of. And
0: who was the mayor at the time?
1: He just died. Um uh I'm actually I'm forgetting his name. Okay. Uh Dinkins? Dinkins?
0: Oh, oh it was Dinkins.
1: Yeah. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a bummer. It is a bummer. Damn. Um but you know, it was a real it was a case where that guy has always maintained that was his finding, and he faced a, you know, a pretty significant retaliation campaign as a result of it. Gloria Steinem, interestingly, as a journalist, was one of the people who who covered that story initially. Um and has been pretty outspoken in, in saying, like, there was corruption here. Uh, but that's all, you know, a sidebar. I think the, the, the wider truth is uh, a lot of the tactics that you see in that case are old-fashioned tactics that have been de- discredited and people should be wary of in other cases, too. You know, the, okay, you have a, you have a credible victim maintaining their story into adulthood. Well, let's, let's blame the mother. It's got to be a disgruntled mother. That is, that is, it shows up in so many custody cases, so many abuse cases. In and the Weinstein case,
0: it's the same thing. They did the same thing. The
1: dirty tactics, right? Dirty, dirty tactics. And just, you know, specifically in, uh, you know, cases involving uh, uh, children, blame the mother is like the oldest tactic in the book. And, and just, you know, the, the numbers show you it's, it's just not a thing that's usually true. You know, it's, it's something I think people should be really leery of. Um, and similarly, you know, the whole concept, uh, which really was uh, elevated in the zeitgeist by uh, the Woody Allen case of parental alienation, if you actually look at the literature around parental alienation, it was pioneered by a, a really crazy discredited character, with a lot of misogynistic and other problematic views, um, you know the numbers that we do have in terms of actual research into does this actually happen? That kids can be completely brainwashed, where they maintain stories for decades and decades.
0: Uh, it really, it, and really, it really
1: can. It right, it well, it you know, you don't get uh, a brainwashed kid to make up a story like that. It's a, it's like a just the most infinitesimally small uh, percentage of cases where there's any evidence of that kind of. Uh, you know, that you can coach a, a whole fact pattern into a, a child's mind. It just, it doesn't exist. So it's, the fo- it's a crush the that gets that I, The call that I, that text
0: yeah. I sent you the other day about mm. that person to talk to. Mm. I want you to talk okay. to that person.
1: Okay. Yeah.
0: About this subject.
1: Well, it, I'll do that. And in any case, it's, you know, it, it reveals a lot of, uh, discredited tactics that I hope fall by the wayside. Now that we have a greater understanding of these issues and a lot of manipulations of justice systems that I hope are also a thing of the past. Now that people are sort of hearing victims, uh, and women more, I hope. Well, I just also want to say that, uh, Dylan has written a book. Yeah. Called Hush, Hush,
0: which is really good. That could be turned she's into a
1: beautiful writer. Yeah. And she's working on the sequel now. Could be, um, a, could turn that into a major motion picture. Yeah, let's, let's set it up. Let's get you in it. It's, you know, she's so talented. And one of the she things is. I wrote about in, in Catch and Kill is how she, partly because she'd been through all of this, I think really had a struggle coming to a place where she could fully embrace her talents and her voice. And it's wonderful to see her doing that.
0: Well, you see so many women who uh, they want to tell their story. And then a lot of people spin out and that's what we're talking about Tirana she sticks with her light, but it, it is an empowering thing to be able to speak your truth. And then there is something that comes along with it that can be from abusive from other people towards you. I know I've, I've, I have a lot of friends that I we know, um, and you know, who defends him to the death and, and I've kind of lost friendships over it.
1: Well, I really respect that about you. You know, I've had... Uh... People uh, for a long time sort of looked the other way. And I think that that is emblematic of the broader treatment of sexual abuse issues um, in Hollywood and beyond. And it it was always striking, you know, the people who long before the Me Too movement came to the prominence that it, it's come to in the last few years came up and said really principled kind of at the time, countercultured things to me. I mean, of course you were someone who always took a principled stand on this sort of thing. Uh, you know, Jane Fonda She's been ahead of the curve on so many issues. There's those great old yeah. clips of, about her talking about gay rights and so forth. Yeah. I mean, she, she, going back years and years, had said to me, I don't even know her that well, but made yeah. a point of coming up to me and saying, I have refused to do Woody Allen movies. I would not do it. You know, this is a stance of principle. People who looked into it, I think particularly women who look considering the facts and listening to The Survivor she came out you know when our story came out
0: and she remembered i had told her years ago cuz she's a great great friend of mine and um and uh, and told that i had told her before before
1: we had talked she's she's fantastic and has yeah. continued to be such a strong cool voice on so many issues uh rosie o'donnell was always incredibly principled on this you know there were people in the industry who sort of knew and really, I think, understood that there had been a miscarriage of justice. But by and large, uh, it is easier for people to look the other way. I I looked the other way for a long time. It really took me as an adult going and looking at those records around the case to understand what had happened there. Um, and, And And you
0: looked as an attorney brain, too, not just brother.
1: Yeah, yeah. As a lawyer, as a journalist, um, you know, as someone who looks at a lot of these cases, obviously, I'm not an impartial party. uh, But I I certainly bring to the table a bunch of skills in terms of assessing the credibility of these kinds of allegations and and in terms of coming at them with a a note of skepticism. I mean, of of course, I would have loved for this to be untrue. (laughs) It would make my life a lot simpler. Uh, But unfortunately, I, I think the preponderance of the evidence suggests otherwise.
0: So you, you have a fiance, a yeah. partner, your partner, yeah. John, love it. Leave it to love it. Love it. We love him. Um, and you guys are track me up because when I see, I've seen you on, um, when you get interviewed together.
1: Yeah. I think, so I'll, I'll go on his show occasionally. It's you know, funny. It is funny. He, he likes to keep uh, a little bit of separation there. I've been saying for years, every time we, we do something together, there's sort of a chorus of people, uh, saying like. They should do a show together. Which you should. I, I personally think would be fantastic. But
0: even you know. fifteen minutes, just like just getting, <laughs> yeah. just having a conversation. I mean, just I remember um, what was the one you're doing the video game and you're blind watching the video game
1: yeah. <laughs> in the PSVR. Oh yeah,
0: my gosh, it, your relationship. But I, I he's think such right. a political I think voice, and he's so so smart. So the two of you together. Do you?
1: Well, it's argue. a funny—it's a funny dynamic for that reason because yeah. we do argue a lot, and I think people I find that entertaining. And and I think there's you know there's a nice dynamic there of like him as the outspoken political firebrand and me as the more down the middle reporter uh, and almost like you know the straight man to his antics. Uh, I, I think uh, is something that we should do more of at some point. But he's he's very rigorous about saying you know. I don't want to do a Joe and Mika thing. No disrespect to Joe and Mika, just, yeah, like, yeah, 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 for, no, our, for our relationship, do we want that, you know, he's to, right, to though. be out there together professionally in the spotlight all the time, and, and what effect does that have on a relationship? You know, God bless Joe and Mika for for making it work, but I imagine that's uh, a challenge in various ways. I don't know. Are I are say th- go for it. People, yeah. be, let the audience decide. People should uh, harangue him into a... <laughs> into considering it
0: do you the two of you together i i just 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 you're funny you're both very funny together so you're entertaining the the first six months of covid you were in la right yeah and and lived in a
1: smaller apartment or a house small house he has a he has a little house in west hollywood was that hard in the beginning you know we get along pretty well in isolation actually we, we You know, I think like most couples, like you were saying with your own relationship, I, there's ups and downs and you definitely, you know, if you're just underfoot all the time with someone, you get on each other's nerves here and there. But I think by and large, especially after an initial adjustment period, we've been pretty disciplined about not squabbling. We're pretty, we're pretty harmonious. He's great though. I really, I admire it. You know, he's like recording something upstairs now. I admire what he does. I think that, you know, there's an important place for that kind of smart political analysis. I think he's a profoundly ethical person. Um, so while we come at the news cycle in very different ways in, in our respective bodies of work, um, you know, I, I do think he is a really important voice and I, I really have a lot of admiration for him.
0: Can you, t- I feel very codependent about his diet.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Have you guys talked about that?
0: No, I've never talked to him. But I want—I—I I feel like I would be a, a bit of a nag. I, He—I would be his worst nightmare if he was living with me in COVID and eating the way he eats when he posts the this junk food that he eats. I get it. Actually, makes me—I'm so codependent. It makes me really upset and scared for his for his body,
1: for his health. He, you know, he does love junk food, but he also he runs a lot. I think oh, he'll be he okay. Does. I think oh, he's he does. I think yeah, I think he's fairly healthy. That, you know I obviously I want him to be around for a long time, so I want him to stay healthy too uh, and you know I was, I there's always
0: to- great place we all everybody needs to have a little junk food, but not every never every day.
1: It seems like he posts things like maybe I should be a better influence you know I obviously I don't want to be and the diet
0: coke uh, thing oh forget it I'm such a nag
1: with food but it's food like, hard in a couple because if you if you start being a, a nag about that really so, first bad. of all it's not really my place like I you're right I don't want to make him feel bad ever um but I also don't want to be enabling anything unhealthy I mean I I think he is his own uh worst critic in in that respect you know I, I think I'm just he stays a on his own about
0: people's food I just I get worried about it I, well I'm very, I, I, I really about think, that. think
1: the the thing I worry about more is actually him being too self-critical about things like diet and body image. You know, I really just, I think the, the most important thing in the short term certainly is, uh, just that he have like a, a healthy, uh, you know, mental health situation, uh, and, and self-esteem. And so, uh, to me that the bigger worry is actually just preventing him from like, from feeling bad, uh, about those kinds of health issues. And, uh, so it's a fine it's a fine balance right cuz on one level i think he'll feel better if he uh, you know stays as healthy as possible but on the other hand i don't want to ever make anyone feel worse by saying like hey you should eat healthier um, You know
0: what it's, this is a good lesson for me to hear the way you're saying it because i i probably should do it that way but i definitely nag people about help
1: when i think when you can't. Like the thing is like yeah. more, our culture bad. our culture makes I'm people feel so bad anyway right about things like junk food and weight and health um you know all you have to do is check into any social media and you know come away after five minutes with uh, profound body dysmorphia (laughs) um and so and so you know, I just generally operate under the assumption that people are going through their own journey of self-flagellating uh, and, and feeling terrible about themselves and wanting to be healthier. And I feel like in a couple, the best thing you can do is just um, create a situation where you're being supportive and helpful when they come to you and, and want help like yeah. getting their eating healthy or, or yeah. getting in an exercise routine, but otherwise kind of hang back and, and just provide
0: mind your own validation.
1: business <laughs> a little bit, a little bit, right? Cause otherwise, otherwise you're, you're right. just going to be at each other's throats all the time.
0: Yeah. No wonder. No, t- <laughs> I, I've, been, I've been like, no, because to, my guy smokes cigars. Like it's not a, but he's it's it kind of calms him down. But then I'm so. Mm. so no, but your lungs. We got to keep the lungs clear because of COVID. Yeah, so that's
1: think, a tough one. I
0: really freak, and I I I can't be around cigar smoke at all because I'll just go get bronchitis. I'm so. You know, worried.
1: I feel like there's room probably to have one gentle, constructive conversation where you say, "Hey, I don't want to be a nag. I, I really care about your health, and I I." just i hope that you're considering the health ramifications on the other hand you know i'm sure he's going through a tough time right now like everyone else and maybe he needs needs that outlet of the cigar to calm him down so maybe there's a gentle combination of like just making it clear once and then giving him his face oh it's too
0: late i've nagged oh too much it's it's like (laughs) i just can't bring it up
1: anymore (laughs) i
0: just it's done like I, I i it's not my business and i don't say anything do,
1: do we do we need to do a follow-up to this where you both come on the zoom and oh i i do a little gosh. couples maybe counseling?
0: Oh, <laughs> be, he'll he would love it uh he would love it so tell me when you have negative stuff at you for yeah. what you do which is your journalism and uncovering all the time it, it pisses scary stories off. yeah and yeah, people dude. get very angry and how do you deal with the ramifications of that for yourself
1: not as well as i should you know I, I think i lived for whatever however long it's been since that that first weinstein story i mean i was doing contentious investigative stuff beforehand for tv and in other places but that was really the beginning of a cycle of stories i've still been on where you know each one is kind of mortal combat and there's a great incentive for people to shoot the messenger and and you know a lot of machinery that that spins up each time trying to discredit anything I'm doing or come after me legally or, again, all the things I've, I've written about in the book. And i really try to avoid any woe is me, self-pitying stuff. But I, I, I wanted to do that because I think a lot of journalists, especially investigative journalists, deal with versions of that. And you know, I, I wanted to signal that's a whole system. That's not about any one of us. And you're not alone, anyone else going through that. Um, but I lived in a space of dealing with that as a baseline just level of stress you know every day being kind of sleep deprived and sometimes literally physically on the run uh during those times when i was being i talked
0: to you once i was supposed to see you and you just gotten off the plane we were gonna have dinner in new york and i was there for something and you were sick you were getting the flu like you needed to be home and bed and i was like wanted to send you soup you were just really really wasted
1: yeah yeah there have been a, a lot of stretches of time where I've just sort of run myself into the ground physically and, and emotionally. And, um, you know, it's, it it doesn't feel great living with that level of stress all the time. And I, I wish I could say, you know, I let it all roll off my back, um, because intellectually, I certainly know it's just, it's part of the job and um, that it, you know, should feel like a privilege to be doing work that uh, creates an impact and inspires that kind of, Uh, response. You know, I I think generally, if uh, your work is um, pissing off people who have been accused credibly of of terrible crimes, uh, you're on the right track. Yeah. Uh, That said, you know, I I think I really have been overdue to kind of take a deep breath and work on myself after a period that really kind of uh, could be psychologically shredding. You know, I, I think that it's it's hard to make it sustainable to live in that place of stress um, so much. And you know, it's, it's I don't want to again be self pitying because I no. certainly get plenty of you know adulation and and it's rewarding. Um, you know, I, I get uh, much more attention than and positive attention than a whole lot of my my peers in in journalism. And I'm very conscious of that. You know, peers who are doing incredibly important consequential work. Um, but you know, stress is real and anxiety is real and, and, uh, you know, the fact that journalists who are targeted by those kinds of tactics, uh, you know, do experience it taking a toll is, is real. So I've started talking a little more openly about that in a way that I hope, uh, is about something other than my own. Uh, issues.
0: But even having a therapist to download this stuff with, because I think we're all collectively so anxious anyway. And then on top of it, the intense, intense life-threatening sometimes uh, work you do.
1: Yeah. I mean, Um, it's, I I don't want to overstate it. Like, you know, I've done work in Afghanistan and other conflict zones and and been around, you know, the, the kind of frontline workers in those settings who are really facing uh, threats to their physical safety every day on a much more acute level. But but yes, getting death threats and legal threats and being chased around and um, approached by people using false identities to try to extract information. I mean, all of that is, um oh. does take a toll over time. Did you have
0: that to people that were pretended to be something that they weren't? Yeah.
1: I mean, that's all that's laid out in the, in the book. That's part of the t- tactics. So, you know, I try to strike a balance between keeping it in perspective and also that woman,
0: that woman that did that with Rose. That
1: Yeah. Yeah. That black Rose cube agent. The there's, there's plenty of that, that happens. Um, I'm working on a story right now that involves some of that. And it, when it comes at you personally, it it can absolutely take a toll. I, you know, I, I guess, the thing that I would say is I'm just out there keeping my head down, trying to do the work the best I can. And, um, I try to not let the noise, either the kind of the uh, positive attention or the attacks, uh, get in the way of that, you know, and it's ultimately it's a, a pretty simple old fashioned thing that I'm trying to do of investigative journalism and, you know, my job is to do it as carefully and meticulously as possible. And thankfully, in everything I do, I have an incredible team around me at The New Yorker and at HBO and everything is, um, you know, surrounded by layers of editors with really good judgment and fact checkers who are on the side of caution. And, um, you know, it's easy to make journalists a target, but ultimately it's about the underlying facts. And I hope I can continue to expose important underlying facts.
0: I feel like that you never took a break. Like like you literally have not stopped for what, five years. I mean like, like a long time since, you know, everything that was happening in NBC and you have uncovering the Matt Lauer stuff on top of all of this, you have not stopped. And have you ever thought, I know I
1: I always go to pins by the way, to make sure credit is assigned where due. I did not break the Matt Lauer story. Matt Lauer was first accused of sexual assault, serious sexual assault, uh, in the New York times, actually, uh, about a year before I ever, uh, turned to that issue.
0: But um, you, but you did uncover the cover-ups of all of that.
1: Yes. Yes. You know, I, I was fortunate to, to have a bunch of people around that story talk to me and, and flesh out our understanding of it further. Um, but it was, you know, that's when where, where my contribution was, was incremental. And there were a, a whole group of great reporters, um, also uh, several reporters at Variety, um, Elizabeth Wagmeister and, uh, Ramin Setude were, were, uh, two of the reporters there who worked on that. Um, there's been a lot of people as with most of these stories that sort of built out our understanding and revealed a lot of important things. Um, uh, but yes, you know, it has been a period to your point of, of, um, you know, one large scale, um, quite taxing story after another. And I mostly feel really fortunate to have been able to, uh, maintain that pace, but also I am deliberately trying to uh, give myself time to, you know, attain equilibrium and, and do some healing in between. Uh, I think it's good Ronan.
0: Yeah. Because, because if you're not, a, you, there's so many stories to tell, there's a lot and people really need you, but in order for you to do it in the way that you do and put your all into it, it's like, it's okay to take a couple of months, like really off, like really, really, but I, you, I don't see you ever doing that. I'm like, trying.
1: I mean, the, I, I, I haven't allowed myself enough. I think you're right. I, the, you know, I, I wrapped up the podcast, uh, the Catch and Kill podcast, uh, this spring, February, mm-hmm. March, and then, um, and then we on, went into went
0: into lockdown. Right, then we
1: went into lockdown, and I, I've thankfully been able to continue work on the documentaries during that period, um, and also worked on a number of of stories over the summer. Uh, one of which, as I said, just just launched this this whistleblower story, which was something that consumed the better part of a year. Um, and there were a couple of other big political stories, which you know may yet see the light of day at some point. Uh, and I'm kind of I'm launching a slate of new investigations now. Um, but I, I, no, think I just almost
0: don't want to bug you with the stuff, but I I think I need to. <laughs> yeah, no, pl- please, I always welcome more
1: leads, and that goes for anyone listening to yeah. you know, this part of it. It's you know I. I very often uh, am able to get on the trail of something real because someone writes in, you know, particularly if you possess documents or proof of something or, you know, hand account of something important, um, you know, write to me and let's see if I can look into it, if it's newsworthy. Uh, you know, I can't, I feel bad sometimes because I, I can't take on every story, but if you've got something newsworthy that I can't take on, I, I generally try to pass it to another reporter. Um, there are a lot of good people who can look at a whole range of different issues, depending on what you're talking about. Uh, but but yeah, I, I take your point well, and I I do think uh, at some point I may have to take a uh, a bit of a break and step back.
0: Being home though with your mom and being at the family home is that is that healing? Just being there.
1: Yes, it's been wonderful to spend some time with her. You know, it's it's just me and she was John alone is here. With, yeah. Uh, she was alone for a long stretch. I mean, she does have, there's two of my siblings who live, uh, in the neighborhood.
0: So she has the grandbabies. She has grandbabies grandbabies around And
1: and one of those families has elected to kind of be in a bubble with her. You know, they don't send the kids to school and they don't have interaction with the outside world. Um, uh, and everyone is, you know, tested routinely and doesn't really have any contact with anyone. Uh, so you know, people have been careful here. I think as people should be right now, yeah. and uh, it's been wonderful. I, I realize many people are completely isolated yeah. and have it much worse in that respect. And and I've been thankful to be able to see family during this time a bit. Are you with? You're with your husband? I, is, yeah, is your my daughter, daughter was
0: with us the first, the first, the first couple months. She was with us. She had a breakup, moved in with her cat, and that was. I could just make a a series just on yeah. that. Yeah. It's so, oh, it was intense, but she's amazing. Maybe and she should.
1: She's so charismatic. I would watch oh, that.
0: She's so great. Um, great. But you know, it's been, it's been challenging for, for her and, and all bet. her friends, you know, it's been a lot. But I, do you think that since uh, Catch and Kill, there how has the media culture changed? Do you think it has at all?
1: You know, I'm probably not the best equipped to say, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a day-to-day media reporter. Um, I certainly think there's a greater understanding of the challenges to bringing complicated and contentious investigative stories to light. Um, not just because of catch and kill, but because of a whole set of revelations of the last few years. And, you know, I, I hope that that further empowers reporters. You know, I've definitely heard from reporters at a variety of outlets, including ones that I've reported on like NBC and CBS. Um, you know, that, that they feel like there's more space for them to do what they have to do professionally when they're reporting on tough stories because of the events of the last few years. And um, I hope that that's the case.
0: Conan, I wish I could talk to you for a long time. I really want to, will you tell your mom I want to do this with her? I, want I will. To do it. I would love
1: You guys to. should do we it. Gotta,
0: we definitely got to do a Mia Farrow.
1: And we've uh, got to uh, we've got to set something up for you guys to do together. I I, uh, I hate hearing that that job that you liked oh, fell through. This is
0: the thing. Her and I should do something like the Children's Hour esque. You know, something like that.
1: I don't know what the project is, but we should find no, something. And, I mean, we're, and,
0: we're 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 too old for that. But just like that kind of story, two women in a setting, you know, dealing with stuff, and, and it could be great.
1: I mean, I as a viewer would love to see more of both of you on screen and mm. together would be a delight too and I, I think I speak for a lot of people out there when I say that and there are so many fabulous directors who you know have come up to me and, and talked about wanting to see more of both of you oh. uh it's yeah. got to be possible if there's not a project out there right now it's got to be possible to set one up that'd be fun yeah
0: it better, but it just would probably have to be um you know independently made in the way things are. That's the one thing we are seeing is that we don't have to be reliant on studio system, right? This is changing things. People are just making their art. Find the
1: right property. Find a, you know, find a great book that's coming down the pike or a script that hasn't been produced with, with the right parts for you guys. And let's make it happen.
0: Are you writing the screenplay to catch his kill?
1: Uh, I, uh, You know, I think I've seen authors take two different approaches to these sorts of things. Either they're very hands-on and they really try to stay involved uh, or they just say, you know, uh, go with God and, you know, the chips will fall wherever they may. I I think, for me, what happens there, if anything, I'm certainly not in a rush to uh, adapt that. I've been very fortunate to have people call wanting to adapt that. It'd make the greatest movie it would i think it could be an important story to bring to uh, a different and and wider audience someday but i I think for me whether that happens and how it happens including the question you asked of like am i involved or am i totally not involved um depends entirely on the right creative hands you know i I think if the right writer or the right director has the right idea for it um did you ever have
0: that meeting with my friend jay roach
1: you know, I, I have talked to Jay a few times. I ran into him. He, I think he came to a. I think he would do a of, great job with this. A show that I was on, and yeah, I had a, f- a fabulous conversation with him. And he's the loveliest guy. Uh, and uh, you know, I've, I've been fortunate to have a, a couple of conversations with uh, filmmakers that I, I really admire yeah. who were interested in doing something. And I, I think, you know, I'm just taking it slow on those kinds of conversations about any work that I've done, and and really wanting to make sure that if I decide to do anything at all there, it's, it's because there is some kismet creative match and I, I'm really putting it in the right hands. Um, you know, hopefully where I don't have to be involved in, you know, cause it's just, it's such a sure set of hands with such a clear vision for it that I can just step back.
0: Well, I think our time is up and I'm, thank you so much Ronan for being here with me and, um, love you guys. Love, give my love to John and, um, I won't nag him about his food.
1: (laughs) I I will. And uh, my mom sends love to you. Everyone here sends love to your family. And uh, I hope you get past uh, cigar nagging gate. uh, Yeah, I'm done.
0: I, I I already (laughs) stopped it. Yeah. I stopped the cigar. I gave up it up. Yeah. It's just, I don't know what it is. It's just, this. way. Oh no, I get it. It's from sincere. I'm the eldest. I'm a man. I just, I don't know what it is.
1: I get it. I get it. I'm a nag. I send you a hug. Thank you for having me on. It's always a pleasure. Okay. Lots of Love. Bye, honey. Bye. Bye, Rosanna.
0: Bye. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate and review Radical Musings to help other listeners find the show and subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts to be alerted every time we post a new episode. Radical Musings is brought to you by Audio Up, produced by Krista and Carla Braun, edited by Jeremiah Zimmerman, production support provided by Ashley Ardent, Sam Winter, Tyler Dorson, Emma Rapholt, and Richard Regal. Thank you all so much. <laughs>